As we come to our sermon this evening, we'll be reading from Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, keep us from running away from you in this week. And if we do, Father, bring us back to you mightily as you brought Jonah to his knees. Father, be with Mark this evening. Give him the words that you would have us hear. Help us to understand your will for our lives in this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever been called to a really difficult task? Something that you knew that was going to be hard and demanding and time-consuming? But something that you also knew was right. What did you do? Did you have that difficult conversation? Did you do that difficult thing? Or did you turn and hightail it 
in the other direction. Can you imagine if Luther decided to fold when he was pressed at Worms, or, or if Machen succumbed to what is now the PCUSA? In this evening's passage, we are going to see that we serve a sovereign God, and nothing we can do can ever thwart his plans. Almighty God is going to execute his decree, his plan, regardless if his prophet is less than enthusiastic about God's calling in his life. We are going to see that it is in fact futile to flee from God's calling in one's life through the foolish attempt of his prophet Jonah. You see, Jonah is called by God to bring salvation to the enemy of God's chosen people. And so he does everything in his power to run away from this charge. But we will see that, that we cannot escape the plans of God. He's everywhere. He knows everything. And he has everything at his disposal. We're going to see that because Christ did not run from his calling, we can have hope and compassion in ours. To do this tonight, we're going to be looking at three things. First, we're going to be looking at a call ignored. Second, a prophet running. And third, a salvation restored. Again, that's a call ignored, a prophet running, and a salvation restored. So with that, let's get started by taking a look at a call ignored. So as we come to our text this evening, it's important to get a little historical context. We, we have uh, some who have dismissed Jonah as being fiction, but we know that it is the inerrant, inspired word of God. We see that in 2 Kings 14, it mentions that Jonah was living during the time of Jeroboam II. So this puts him in the ballpark of 793 to 753 B.C. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ also refers to Jonah as a historical person in Matthew 12. This book does differ from other prophetic texts, though, in the sense that it focuses more on the prophet than on his particular message. We see Jonah's reaction to God sending him and in his reaction to the notion of salvation for these Ninevites. And while this book makes no reference to its author, only Jonah himself could possibly have known all the facts that it records. It's also important to view this book in light of where it lies in redemptive history. As one theologian points out in his commentary, the question is, why is Jonah, a prophet of God, called to go to a Gentile nation when the mission of most of the prophets of Israel and Judah though not exclusively, is to prophesy to or against God's chosen people, that is, Israel and Judah. And the answer is that that God deals with people through covenant. Now, in order to understand Jonah, we have to think back to the Mosaic covenant, and then we have to think back even further to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Jonah is Jewish, Jewish, and as such, he feels called to serve God's chosen people, Israel. They are called to be set apart from the rest of the world. But we also see in the Abrahamic covenant that that God will bless all of the nations of the earth through the seed of Abraham, who is also the seed of the woman, all the way back in Genesis 3.15. So with this in mind, we come to verses 1 and 2 of our text. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So here is the call of God's prophet, his mouthpiece, Jonah, the son of Amittai. He is called to go to that great pagan city, Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a major city of the Assyrians, the great enemies of God's chosen people, Israel. 
These are the same Assyrians to which the northern kingdom is going to fall in 722 B.C. And during this time, as reported in 2 Kings 14, the passage that was mentioned earlier, Israel, that is to say the northern kingdom, was experiencing a time of great prosperity. Its borders even extended to where they were during the times of King David and King Solomon. So this nation was strong and things were good. But Nineveh itself lies over 500 miles northeast of Israel on the east bank of the Tigris River. The city is referred to as great 14 times in the four chapters of Jonah. It's so massive that we read in chapter 3 that it took a three days journey to even walk across it. And we also know something about the city, and that is referred to as nine times as evil or disastrous in this book. So this is the setting that Jonah is called by God to minister in. And we are going to see that God is a God of boundless compassion, not just for the chosen people of Israel, but also for outsiders. And because of this, we see Jonah's response in verse 3, where we read, But Jonah chose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So in this one verse, we see Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. God's prophet hears God's call to Nineveh and essentially says, no, I think I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go over, uh, instead of going 500 miles to the northeast to Nineveh, I'm going to head straight west to Tarshish, which is, in effect, going completely to the other side of the known world. Now, Jonah, which means dove, is a symbol in Israel as being silly or, or senseless, as we see in places such as Hosea 7, verse 11. But, but Jonah thinks he's going to escape our almighty, sovereign, and omnipresent, that is to say, everywhere God, by hopping in a ship, by nestling himself deep in its hull, and going completely in the opposite direction. If we're honest with ourselves here this evening, how often are we just as foolish as Jonah appears to be in our own lives? How often have we shied away from that perfect evangelistic opportunity, just cower in fear because of it? How often has the Lord invited us to love our wives only to watch us tear her down with words? How often has your heavenly Father told you to forgive only to hear you hold a grudge? But our sovereign God will carry out his decree. He will carry out his plan. He will do the work of sanctification in his people. One way or another. This brings us to our second point. A prophet running. The Lord's plans will not be thwarted by the disobedience of his prophet. Though as we see in verse 4 where we read, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship threatened to break up. This is as if Almighty God was saying, you want to run away from me? Good luck with that. Let me know how that works out for you. And he commands the winds and the waves, and he stirs up this great storm on the sea, a storm so strong that the ship itself is on the verge of breaking up. A storm so strong that we see these rough and tumble sailors that are also on the ship are scared out of their minds. We see that every one of these salty dogs, as it were, cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. The picture here is one of complete and total desperation. 
The men who are scrambling for their lives are not all white-collar workers on some pleasure cruise that has gone terribly wrong. These are tried and true mariners who have seen it all and been through it all. These guys are utterly brought to the ends of themselves by an act of Almighty God. And we see this because they start chucking their cargo overboard. They're, they're, they're scared well beyond the prospect of getting paid or even worrying about having to pay for the goods that will be lost on this particular voyage. These guys are, are, are purely in survival mode and they're doing everything that they can just to see tomorrow. But where do we see God's profit in all of this? We continue reading. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah ran away, not because he was insensible concerning what was taking place, but because he knew that he was a fugitive from the presence of God. Jonah checks out in order to escape what's being required of him. This is the degree of disobedience God's prophet is doing with his fleeing. And we can relate, right? We sometimes find ourselves here. We know that we are faltering in one particular area and we just decide to, to occupy our time with this or that or we decide to sleep it off in an effort to escape having to deal with it. But God does not allow Jonah to wallow in this low condition very long as we see in verse 6. We, we read, The captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So here we have a pagan captain coming to God's prophet to tell him to pray for the sake of these people. So not only is Jonah not praying for the Ninevites to be saved, but he is also leaving these sailors to pray to false gods. Now the captain, however, is in this desperate estate and he rebukes Jonah to get up and pray to the one true God in order that they might be spared. And as we continue, we see God providentially work things out in verses 7 and 8 where we read, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? It says, Calvin says concerning this verse, when a calamity happens, it's the duty of everyone to examine himself and his whole life before God. Then everyone from first to last must confess that he bears a just judgment. And that's what we see happening here. These sailors are ferociously looking for some way to salvation, and so they cast lots, which points to Jonah. So their rapid-fire questioning starts. You know, why is this happening? What do you do for a living? You know, where are you from? What people do you belong to? After the lot fell on Jonah, these guys knew that he was guilty. And Jonah knew it too. Jonah tells them as much. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He tells them, yeah, I'm one of God's chosen people who have been given his law. I, I, I know and worship the one true God, the one who made the heavens and the earth and, and all that's in them, the one who's in control of this very storm on this very sea. Jonah is rightly accused, and he comes clean. Brothers and sisters, 
so often the case that, that, that we too wait until our lives are a mess before we come clean to our Heavenly Father. Just as in Jonah's day, God knows all and, and he's sovereign over all. So why do we wait? Why do we hide? Why do we not seek to repent of that besetting sin? God sees all of it. And while you may be fooling those around you for a time, God knows what websites you're visiting. He knows what substances you're putting into your body. And he knows who or what you're putting your trust in. Jonah couldn't run from God, and we can't either. This brings us to our final point this evening, a salvation restored. So at this news we read, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So now that Jonah has come clean about who he is and whom he serves, these men are scared. They're terrified. And again, pagans rebuke God's prophet and ask him for answers. After all, this horrible tempest is only getting worse and worse. And Jonah has shared that he is the direct cause of this happening. So Jonah, not necessarily in a state of repentance, says to them in verse 12, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah knows his guilt and he knows what the just thing to do is. He must be thrown off the boat for the sake of these sailors and accepts his fate for trying to flee and for trying to disobey Almighty God. And again, these pagans prove to be more righteous than Jonah in verses 13 and 14. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So even after Jonah tells these mariners what must be done, They try their best to preserve his life. Only when they cannot save themselves do they cry out to God to save them from shedding innocent blood. Now you have to remember that there's this uh, common grace covenant that that God made with Noah and the rest of of creation, rather, all the way back in Genesis 8 and 9. Even these pagans have some semblance of Genesis 9 6, which reads, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man. In his own image. So these guys have some idea of it. They know it. And in their hour of desperation, they turn in supplication to Almighty God. These pagans turn to the very God that Jonah should have turned to to ask for help the whole time. And after every option was exhausted, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. So as Calvin says, The sailors and the passengers were not only touched with the fear of God, but that they also had the impression that the God of Israel was the supreme king of heaven and earth, that he held all things under his hand in government. This fear, no doubt, led them to true knowledge, so as to know that they were previously deluded, and that whatever the world had invented was mere delusion, and that the gods devised by the fancies of men were nothing else but mere idols. These men knew that the false gods that they had served previously were just that, false gods. 
So only when they discovered God's prophet, when they learned of the one true God, and did what his prophet commanded them, did the storm subside. And we see this when we look at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So not only will the Ninevites hear of God's salvation by Jonah's being thrown into the water, but so are these sailors. It's as if God used Jonah's little tantrum to save even more outsiders. And after being saved, these guys offer a sacrifice to the Lord and take vows. God uses even the foolish disobedience of his prophet for the good of his people. So, what does our passage have to do with us here this evening? We, just like those lost sailors in this passage, are in need of a sacrifice. One that will save us from the storm of our sin and the sin of those around us. We have the benefit of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, this promised seed of Sarah that was born of the line of Abraham, who also commanded the wind and the waves, because he is God. And we know that he died in our place on the cross, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is everything that Jonah and Israel were supposed to be. He did what the Father commanded him to do. We know that though our Lord and Savior pleaded with God the Father at Gethsemane, he still drank the cup of wrath down to the dregs. We know that while he sweat drops of blood, he still said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in so doing, he brought salvation not only to believing Jews, but also to believing Gentiles. And just as Jonah became a saving sacrifice for those mariners on that day as he hit the water, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ became our saving sacrifice that day on Calvary. He died in our place on the cross, ensuring that our salvation is not contingent upon our own obedience. We can also see how comforting it is to know that our Heavenly Father is so good and powerful and just and loving that He can even use our mistakes for the good of His people. And while our God permits these things to happen, He's certainly not the author of sin. And even in permitting these things to happen, He can still use our faults for His good purposes. Now, this shouldn't give us license to do whatever we want whenever we want to do it, but it's freeing to know that we are so loved that our salvation is no longer contingent upon how we perform. If it were, we would all be lost. We, we can't do it. We can't earn it. We're fallen human beings. It's because that we are saved and, and given a new heart in Jesus Christ, because we have been given the Holy Spirit after Christ's ascension, that we can once again do good works unto God that, that are in accordance with his revealed word and, and out of a genuine love for him, a spirit-wrought love for him. It's how we can grow more and more in our assurance of salvation. Christ tells us that, that we all know his people love him because they keep his commandments. But the reason they're able to keep his commandments is because they have been born again of the Spirit, of our resurrected Lord and Savior. So what is it that you feel the Lord is calling you to do for the glory of him and his kingdom? Is he calling you to share the gospel with that particular loved one, that co-worker or that friend? Is he calling you to serve in the ministry in one capacity or another? Is he calling you maybe to be faithful in one area of your life this evening. Because Jesus did not run from his calling, we can have hope and compassion in ours. 
He has paid our debt and is changing our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are free to reach others with the good news of the gospel. Pray that the Lord would give you both the grace and the power by the Holy Spirit to serve him in whatever it is that he's calling you to do. And know what it is to abide in him and his promises rather than foolishly running from God and his plans. As we see in our passage this evening, it's futile and foolish to run. May God grant it. Amen.